Today, again, is, is Valentine's Day, and, um, and as you might expect, I'm going to talk about a subject that's near and dear to us all. Everybody say love. You know, we, we, we use that word a lot, don't we? I, you know, I love puppies. I love hot dogs. I love Jesus. I love my wife. I love my kids. We use that word a lot. But when we talk about love for God, you know, we say we love the Lord. I heard people say, you know, that they're, they're living like hellions, and they say, oh, I love the Lord. And it's almost like an oxymoron when you say, you know, love somebody, and, you're, and, and you are doing everything offensive to them. How can you say that you truly love them? Well, I, I just want to start out with a, with a passage of Scripture. And there are two particular times in the Gospels that Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And both times... He, he was, one time he was asked the question, and he quoted this particular verse. And the next time, he asked the question of someone else who quoted this particular verse. And, and I'm going to give it to you right now. It says in Matthew 22, Jesus had just had this run-in with the Sadducees who tried to trap him with a, a question concerning a, a woman who had been married to a man. And under Jewish law, when that man died, his, his brother was to take her and bear children by her. And if, if he died, then the next brother in line, well, there were seven brothers. And, and the, the Sadducees, the reason they were asking Jesus this question was they were trying to trap him because the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were Sadducees. And, and so they were asking Jesus this question you know, the first husband had her, he died. So the second husband died, left no heirs, the third, the fourth, all the way down to the seventh. Now, the question is, when she died, whose wife is she going to be in heaven? That's a trick question. And Jesus said, you show that you don't know the Scriptures. You don't know God. You don't know what happens in heaven at all, do you? In heaven, there will be no marriage, no giving in marriage. We'll all be just like the angels. There'll be no need to reproduce in heaven. That's the basic reason we were given marriage in the first place was so that we would have a helpmate, we would be able to reproduce. And so uh, anyway, he, he, he straightens that out. And, and he said, when, they, when, he had, when, when the Pharisees heard how Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they got together and they thought they could trip him up with a question. So one of them, who was an expert in the law, came to him and he tested him with this question. He said, teacher... Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Huh. I mean, Jesus wrote the law. He should know what the greatest commandment is. And Jesus replied, what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is a parallel to it. It's just like the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I mean, when we narrow it down to all that God has told us to do, don't covet, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, all of these things hang on that particular commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because when you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to offend them. When you love God, you're not going to offend him. You're going to take things seriously. So let's just look at some of these words that Jesus used. 
And he said, love the Lord your God, first of all, with all of your heart. What is your heart? Well, we know what the heart is. It's that thing that beats in our chest. It's a necessary part of our being. I mean, if you don't have a heart, you're dead. James said, without the heart, your body's just a corpse. I mean, if you don't have, because it's the very center and it's hidden. You can't see it. I mean, you know, some people say, you know, he has a big heart or he has no heart at all. What they mean is that that man is devoid of true character. When someone says that man has no heart, he has no compassion, he has no love. And so love is the very central thing. So our heart, when we love the Lord with all of our heart, we're loving God from the very center of our being. Everything else emanates from that. The very heart of who we are, the very person that we are, we love the Lord with that. We don't put God over here. You know, we have our life. I love the Lord. No, you kind of like Him. You kind of like Him. But you don't truly love him unless he's the center of your being. And then he says, love the Lord with all your heart, which is the hidden man of the heart, and love him with all of your mind. What is your mind? That's the dianoia. That's the deep thought, the, the faculty of mind or disposition. It's our mode of thinking. What do we think about? What dominates your thinking? Throughout the day. Several years ago, there was a song came out, and I was going through a very, very tough time in my life, man. I was fighting a battle. I mean, I, was, I felt like I was stuck in the flames of hell itself trying to fight my way out. I was fighting a battle with my body, in my mind. There were things going on around me. There were things going on in me. There was things going on with my body, and I just felt like I was just and there, was, there were a couple of songs that really stood out, but one of them was, when I think about the Lord, when I think about the Lord, how He saved me and He healed me, how He filled me with His Holy Spirit. I started thinking about that. I go around singing that song all the time. When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He forgave me, you know, how He, how he delivered me, how He healed me, how He did all these things for me, and I would just think about the Lord and all He had done for me. You know, when I began to think like that, and when I began to tune that into my, to my inner being, my heart, I covered myself with that. You know what happened? Healing started taking place. Healing started taking place because, first of all, it had to start taking here. I had to love the Lord with all of my mind. I had to love Him with all my heart. I had to love Him with all of my soul. What is your soul? The Greek word is suke. Everybody say suke. Okay, now if you want to know what it is in the Latin, it's the word psyche. <laughs> Love the Lord with all your psyche, your mind, your thinking, your ability to think. You know, it's okay to love God with your mind. You know, we, we think about a lot of things, and we think, you know, that when we become believers, we check our mind at the door, and we just narrow the gospel down to this one thing, that Jesus died for my sins, and if I love him, and if I accept what Jesus did, then I'm on my way to heaven, and that's all that matters. That's idiotic thinking. 
Because the Bible says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. God begins a transformation process inside of us. He begins to change the way that we think. He begins to change the way that we center ourselves. And we become centered upon the Lord, become centered upon the things of God. Everything around us then begins to transform. It begins to change. We say that we love God. How do you love your neighbor? Are you forgiving Number one, do you have an ability to forgive? If you don't, then you're lacking in a love for God. Because the Bible says, forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven you. That shows that we have the love of God inside of us. When we have the ability to forgive, and to forgive means to cancel the debt. It means to never bring it up again. To, to, it's, it's as though as it never happened. When, we, when God forgives us, how does he forgive us? He separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. He buries our sins in the sea of his forgetfulness to be remembered against us no more. He totally and completely absolves our sin, and he keeps no record of it. Thank God. Thank God for that. And you know what he requires of us? That we do the same. That we do the same. Now, in our, in our humanity, we cannot do that. In our natural man, we cannot do that. But thanks be to God that we are not natural. We are supernatural because we've been born again by the Spirit of God. And we have been given the ability of God to totally forgive and cancel the debt that's been done against us no matter how great it is. As a matter of fact, we have to. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, and this is the Passion Translation, it says, we have come into an intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in the love He has for us because God is love. You want to know God and what He's about? It's about love. That pretty much sums up who our God is. He's just one huge big bundle of love. And those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them. By living in God, love has brought, us to its full ex- has brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. Love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Think about that. If you're always worried about the big guy in the sky with a huge thumb that's going to squash you like a bug, you haven't understood the grace and the love of God. Because God didn't come to punish you for your sin. He came to forgive you for your sin. He came to set you free from your sin. I was talking to someone the other day, and and they were telling me about a, a particular person who had grown up in a home under a particular religion, and he was told as a young man or young boy, he had done something that was, I mean, it was a bad thing he did, but he did it innocently. But he went to his priest, and his priest told him because he had done this thing, he would have to pay for that sin for the rest of his life. No forgiveness. And this guy grew up with that hanging over his head, that I've offended God and I have to pay for my sin for the rest of my life. I love the song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, his blood washed it away. 
That's what Jesus did. I was in Mexico several years ago, and uh, my wife and I were with a, another missionary that was there, and, and, and she and, and Elaine Wilburn, uh, one of our missionaries, we were sitting at a sidewalk cafe, and they were talking. And so this guy says, hey, you want to do it, take a little walk? So I said, sure. So we started walking, and we walked down, down the street, and there was a, a, a mission there, a Catholic mission. And on the outside, it, didn't, it wasn't that impressive. But he said, would you like to go in? I said, you know, I've never really been inside one. He said, well, come on. So we went in, and we walked in. I was astounded. I mean, I was totally astonished because they were like these booths with saints that were made out of pure gold and silver that were sitting, that they had made, and people were sitting before them, before the saints, pleading to the saints for forgiveness. And there were like six or eight of these things, and it looked like there was enough gold in this place to pay off the national debt. I was just amazed that it was still there after all this time. Somebody hadn't stolen it or something, but I guess the religious thing is so strong that they wouldn't do it, you know, and uh, be like stealing from God or something. But anyway, all this stuff was in there. And then we went into the communion service or the mass that they were having that day. I'd never been in that. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church. And, and you know, uh, first time I went to a Baptist church, I, I thought it was dead because, you know, I mean, I grew up in a Pentecostal church where it was, you talk about lively, it was lively. Everything but the snakes. We didn't have any snakes, thank God. We had everything else but the snakes. But anyway, that's, that's the environment I grew up in. So when I went to, but going into this, this, this religious atmosphere, I'm standing there in there taking it all in, and I'm watching them do mass, and people were coming up, and the priest is dispensing the communion elements. And I noticed something to the side of me. And I turned and looked, and there was a woman who had come to the door of the, of the, par, or the mission and had gotten down on, her, on all fours and she was literally crawling on her stomach toward a cross that was sitting in the corner of the, of the sanctuary, I guess you would call it. And there was, a, there was a, a figure of Jesus hanging on the cross. And she's crawling toward the cross and every so often she would get on her knees and, and she would pray toward that cross. And, and I asked him, I said, what is she doing? And he said, oh, brother, this is nothing. He said, up in the mountains, he said, they actually take cinders and they throw them on the floor so that when you crawl, it, it, it cuts into your arms and your legs. I said, why? He said, she's doing penance. I said, why? He said, because they believe that if they afflict enough pain upon themselves, they can absolve themselves of their sin. I said, then what's the reason for that? Why the cross? And why is Jesus still hanging on the cross? The work has been finished. The work is done. Our sins are dealt with. He paid the price of our sins. The love of God. He showed his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So why should we continually pay for our sins when they've already been paid for? That's the love of God. And why should we require someone else to pay for their sins toward us? When we have the grace of God inside of us to forgive. We love them. We love them. 
God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God, and God loves th- lives through them. By living in God, love has brought to its full ex- has been brought to its full expression in us, so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment. Because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. Think about that for a minute. All that Jesus. Now is, so are we in this world. Love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment from our hearts. Okay, verse 21. Well, let me back up there just a minute. Number 19. Our love for others is, so, is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. Let's park the truck right there for just a second. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. Anyone can say, I love God, yet have hatred toward another brother, another believer. This makes him a phony because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you you can see, how can you truly love God whom you have not seen or who, who you can't see? For he has given us this commandment, whoever loves God, say it with me, Whoever loves God must also demonstrate love to others. You know, John was probably the youngest of Jesus' disciples. And he's the one that was always right there beside Jesus. We see at the Passover, you know, when Jesus is having the Last Supper, when he's eating the Passover meal with his disciples. And it's descriptive of John, the, you know, leaning on Jesus' chest. And when Jesus was telling you know, who was going to deny him, who was going to betray him. John says, is it I? And the Lord says, no. But it is one who dips his, his, his bread in the bowl with us. It's somebody here. John wanted to know. And then when, when, when all the other disciples had left Jesus, when nobody else showed up at the cross when Jesus was being crucified, there was John. Because Jesus, when he's upon the tree, he looks down and he sees John. He says, John, behold your mother. Take care of mom for me. He could have told one of his other brothers, but he said, John, would you take care of her? John was there. John had this capacity for love. And when we read about the things that that John wrote, when we read the gospel of John, what do we hear predominant throughout that gospel? We hear about the love of God. God so loved the world that God loves. And he talks about love and that we should love one another. And he, you know, all through it, he talks about love. And then when you read his epistles, the first, second, third John, the predominant topic throughout those three books is the love of God. He understood the love of God. And he is telling us that God is love. And, and, and he understood who God was. God is love. 1 John 5, 1 through 5, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is God's spiritual child and has been fathered by God himself. So if God is love and his his seed abides in us, what does that give us? That means that we take on the characteristic of God, that we love because God is love and his seed is in us. We're just like dad. He, He loves us so much and everyone who loves Father God loves his children as well. And this is how we can be sure that we love the children of God, by having a passionate love for God and by obedience to his commands. Wow. We love him. We obey him not out of fear, 
We obey Him not out of the need for penance. We obey Him simply because we have a relationship with Him. He's our Father, and we love Him. And it breaks our heart when we sin against Him. I don't know about you, but when I do something that I know is wrong against my Father, it eats me up. It tears me up. And I have to go to the Father and say, Lord, forgive me. And, and, and I think that's, that's only natural for us if we have that love for God. In verse 3, true love for God means obeying His commands, and His commands don't weigh us down as heavy burdens. You see, every child of God overcomes the world, for our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. So who are the world conquerors defeating its power? Who are they? Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So the identifying mark of a true believer is love. That's what sets us apart. A passionate love for God. In other words, we love Him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And a corresponding obedience to Father's commands results from loving Him, and it causes us to love His people. It causes us. There was an old song we used to sing when I first came to the Lord. We don't sing it much anymore, but it, give me that old-time religion. <laughs> but one of the verses was, it makes me love everybody. It does. That was the one that always stood out to me. It makes me love everybody. I, I just, you know, the love of God is the thing Paul says it's the love of God that compels me or the love of God that constrains me. And when we have a love for God, we have a love for people. It's just, it just comes natural. Sometimes it becomes so natural that we find ourselves doing things that, you know, people that don't understand the love of God can't comprehend. I was standing in a food line one time, it was right around Christmas time, and I don't know why, I just, I was standing there and, and there was a guy standing in front of me. And it's just like the love of Jesus, I don't know if he needed this or not, but without even thinking, I put my arm around the guy, I said, I love you, man. The guy looked at me like I was from another planet. But it was just like, Jesus just put a love in me for this guy. I never met him in my life. He got his stuff and got out of there in a hurry. But I hope he knew somebody loved him. But having that love is, 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 is just having the seed of God in us. It just makes us love people regardless of where they come from, regardless of what they're going through, regardless of who they are, what they've done, we just love people. And, you know, we live in an upside-down world where our value system has become so unbalanced, where creation is worshipped more than the Creator Himself, and human life has been devalued to the point, point that we can abort innocent babies without remorse or all for the sake of convenience. And Jesus said concerning those who He knows, and that he recognizes that his own, in Matthew 7, 16, he says, you will know them by what? You will know them by their fruits. And Jesus said about the world around us, he says, they will know that you are my disciples when you get a hold of this one commandment. He said, I give you one commandment. And when you read the Gospels, you read about Jesus. You know, we had 10 commandments that Jesus, that, that God had given us in the Old Testament and then there were a whole bunch of other 
side commandments that were, were, were instilled in the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy. We see all of those things and all these religious, ritualistic type of things. And Jesus said that I didn't come to cancel out the law. He said I came to fulfill it. And Jesus fulfilled the law because he was the only person who was ever capable of walking in true innocence before God without sinning. He was the only one. Why? Because the seed that was in him, he didn't have the seed of man in him, first of all. He didn't have that fallen nature that we had because he was born of the Spirit, right? And when Jesus was born, he was born of the Spirit. He was not born of the seed of man. And so he had this ability to live a sinless life. But we have a priest, a high priest, who was just like we are, who was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Jesus went through all the temptations that you and I go through. He went through all the struggles, all the pain, and everything else. And all that Jesus went through in his short 33 years of life here on this earth, I can't even begin to imagine all the things he had to endure. But he did it with such grace, strength, because of the Spirit of God within him. He showed us how we could do it, basically. And he showed us how we could love people. And the only commandment he ever gave to his disciples was, he gave, he says, I give you a new commandment. This commandment is that you love one another even as I have loved you. And he says, this is how the world will know that you are truly my disciples if you have this love for one another. Wow. If we have this love for one another, if we have this passionate agapeo, this kind of love for one another that's genuine, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans to love each other with a sincere love. Let love be sincere. Let it be without wax. Let it be true. Let it be pure. Not this put on kind of love because love endures all things. It hopes all things. It proves all things. You know, if we go to the, the book of 1 Corinthians and we can see it and, and, and probably be a good thing to do about right now. It's not easy for us to love, but the Bible commands us to do it. In Colossians chapter 127, it tells us the only way that we can have hope of the glory of God is by having Christ in us. And that word Christ in the Greek is the word Christos. It means anointing or anointed one or Messiah. In 1 John 2.20, it says the Holy One has anointed you. So we have that anointing. In other words, as Dr. Cottle used to say in our CLST classes, he, say, he would always say that you don't have an anointing, you are an anointing because of the Christ who lives inside of you. You don't have to wait on God to pour something over you or for something to come over you. You already have it inside of you because you have the seed of God inside of you. You have Christ inside of you. He lives inside of us, so we are an anointing, and we have the ability to do these very things that the Bible has told us that we should do. And Paul stated, if we have a relationship with God devoid of love for others, it's, a, it's a, like a hollow relationship. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, it says, If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, and yet I don't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains but never learned how to love, then I am nothing. 
If I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own and feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect or selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty, finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up, for love never stops loving. It never ends. It never ends. And, you know, I, I've been praying for a, revi- a revival move in our church and, and in our nation But I'm convinced that praying for souls out of a sense of love and compassion for the lost is the key to having a true move of God. If we're just praying that God's just going to pour out His Spirit so we can all speak in tongues and and dance and have a great time and all this stuff, we're praying for the wrong thing. If we're just praying that God will change us and, and, and make us better people, then we're praying for the wrong thing. But if we pray that God would transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit and we pray for the lost people with a compassion and a love for them that's real, God will send revival. Because then we're praying what God wants. Because God so loved the world that he gave. Love is the key. God loves you. I want you to understand that. If you don't understand anything else that I tell you today, God loves you. God loves you. My beautiful wife, she, she tells me the story of her testimony and when she went to hear a particular woman preach one Sunday morning in a church that she was attending. And all this woman talked about was the love of God. She had heard about all the judgment of God and about everything else. That didn't draw her to the Lord. But when she heard about the love of Jesus and how much Jesus loved and cared for her, that drew her to God. That drew her to the Lord. Jesus' love and compassion is the thing that brought him to people and brought people to him. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus loves you with a love that you can never fathom. His love is so deep and so wide and so tall that his grace is unending. There's no end to the grace and the love of God. He loves you that much. And you know what? He wants you to love people the same way that he loves you. He wants you to have the same grace and compassion for others that he has for you. He wants you to know the love of God. He wants you to experience it. He wants you to walk in it. He wants you to embellish it. He wants you to demonstrate it in the life that you live, in everything that you do. God loves you. God loves you. Growing up as a kid, I heard about hell a lot. I heard about the judgment of God a lot. I heard about how if you don't give your heart to God and you don't live right, you're going to go to hell. I heard that a lot. And after a while, the effect of it wore off. And I came to the point that there's so much religion and everything else and so many rules and regulations, I can't live up to it. 
And I came to a point in my life when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And I said, you know, I can't live this life. My dad couldn't do it. My dad couldn't do it. I couldn't do it either. And I made a decision. I said, if I'm going to go to hell, excuse my French, but this is what I said to myself, I'm going to have a hell of a good time going there. And I gave up on God. And I did a lot of destructive things to myself. But you know, that, that search for, for pleasure and those kind of things, it came to a dead end. And when I came to the end of myself, kind of like the prodigal son, you know, who had left his father and squandered his inheritance and everything else, it says he came to the end of himself and he came to his senses. When I came to my senses and I, I began to look at life, I began to wonder what life was about and wonder about the love. Is there any real love? Is there anybody that loves me, that cares about me at all? Because I'd been through surface relationships. I tried it with girls. I tried it with friends. I tried it with everything else. But the love was only surface. And then when God revealed himself to me and how much he loved me, it changed me. When I finally got a glimpse of the love of God, that the reason that Jesus died on the cross wasn't because of something he did. I never could understand why such a good man would have to be crucified. Why people hated him so much that they would crucify him. Why? Because all he ever did and all I ever read about him was he healed the sick, he delivered people, he set people free, he fed people, and now they want to kill him. Why? I couldn't understand until I got a glimpse of the cross, and then I understood. He didn't do it because of what he did. He did it because of what I did. He did it for me. He did it for you. Simply because he loves you. He loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, he loves you. That's what it's all about. Jesus loves you. You need to say that to yourself. Jesus loves me. He's passionate for me. If you're here this morning and you've yet to experience the love of God, today is your day. If you want to know how much Jesus loves you, I can tell you, He stretched out His arms this wide and He says, I love you this much. And He hung His head and He died. He paid the penalty for your sins. He loves you that much. And he was buried, but he conquered death, hell, and the grave because three days later he rose from the dead. He's our Savior. He wants to save you if you've never given your heart to Jesus. There's not a better time than right now to surrender your life to the love of God. Allow Him to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. And you'll experience a love that will just fill you up to the degree that you can't help but love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And it makes you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You can't help but love. Because the love of God, the nature of God, wells up inside of you. You've been listening to Destiny City Church. 
a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.